0: Peter chapter 5. Today, what we're going to be looking at, uh, and and I love what what Peter's doing, because if you follow along with us the entire sermon series, you know that most likely there's a good chance that he is leading during Emperor Nero's reign, and Emperor Nero is one of the most brutal uh, leaders uh, ever. Matter of fact, he wanted to build uh, more and, and bigger cities, so he burned part of it down, blamed it on Christians, and then Use that as a crusade to kill, murder Christians and hang them up all over the city. Uh, I mean, it was a brutal, brutal lead, uh, leading. And, and so Peter in the midst of this is writing to the church and saying, hey, we know that things are turned upside down right now. We know that things are, are bad or are hard, but here's how the gospel changes, how we see the world in the midst of bad. When, when life has turned you upside down, this is the worldview that the gospel produces in our life. And what we know about Peter, and this is what I love, is that Peter is preaching and teaching this as somebody who is in the suffering with him. And we know historically, it tells us that Peter would be uh, martyred for his faith. He would be killed. He would be murdered for his belief in Jesus Christ and not wanting to be uh, hung on a cross in the same manner or way that Jesus did. He has to be hung upside down. Uh, and so, man, there was something happened in Peter's life to move him from a doubter Uh, or somebody that denied Christ to then seeing the resurrection of Christ and now feeding his sheep. So he's writing today in in chapter five as a a fellow elder, he says, and he's given instructions. Now, if you followed along with us, and Peter's been talking about how Christ transforms how we see life. A few weeks ago, we talked about marriage and how God created marriage uh, and God God set up the family to operate a certain way. And because we didn't create it, uh, we don't want to tinker with it. We trust that our creator who made marriage between a man and a woman and a family unit, and there's different roles within that, that God made it and we trust his way of creating it. Uh, It's for our good and his glory. And so in faith, we just follow his word when it comes to marriage and and how he set that up. And we want to, we wanna follow that and trust God's word in it. And so Peter is saying, even in the midst of all of this trials, even in the midst of all these difficulties, stay faithful, even down to your family unit. Men, be the men that God's called you to be. Ladies, be the, the women that God has called you to be, even within your home and in the midst of suffering, in the midst of things being turned upside down. It doesn't give you any excuse to jump ship in your role and who God has called you to be as husband and as wife and within the family. Like marriage, God also created another institution and it's the church. He created it with a certain structure for his people to thrive. We want the family to thrive and the gospel we believe produces families that that thrive and have an ability to overcome even when life is, is upside down. And the same God who is on the throne and the same spirit of God who is empowering you as husband and wife in your family is the same God who's on the throne who rules his church the same spirit of God who is reigning within his church, even when things are turned upside down. Now, for some of you, when we begin today to talk about the institution of the church and how we shepherd the sheep of the shepherd, you begin to have a bunch of thoughts, some of you, that come, come through your mind immediately. For some of you, you're watching online or maybe you're here present. When you think about a view of the church, you think of it more as a, a political group led by maybe power-hungry men that over the generations have lied and cheated and stole to have its own uh, its own will and, and power on this earth. And so when you think about the institution of the church, man, you just look over thousands of years of history and all you see is negative or abuses or, or the ways that the church has fallen short. Or, or maybe for some of you, you don't think of, of those things, you just think of, You know what, I was raised in church, I grew up in in church, and uh, church is just kind of what we've done. And so church is more of a weekly event uh, that church is centered around a building or a place. And so this becomes like a sacred ground or a sacred place that you attend. And and so your thought of the church is is, is geared toward that. And maybe for others, you think that, you know, everything that has been said and done in the name of, of church is what we see in scripture. So you battle because of these things as we begin to even open up the text. Some of you are asking this question, is the church relevant for today? Is what God built and established and set up as the church, is it even by a viable means? Is it a, a viable vehicle to carry the gospel to the nations and to the ends of the earth in modern day times? Just like many people today, but we're finding fewer people getting married than ever before because many people are viewing marriage as this outdated institution, archaic, uh, and it's what other people do, but it's not really viable. It doesn't really match today's society, so why get married? And in the same way, many people, as you're watching online or you're present, your thoughts are, you know what? I'm not sure if the church is God's method anymore. I don't know if it's God's way that he created to carry the gospel to the nations. Is it relevant for today? So here's what i want to give you. I wanna just right off the bat, give you the punchline of the message, and then we're just gonna roll through a text. We're gonna look at five verses today. And so what I wanna do is I'm gonna walk through those five verses, explain the text, and then I'm gonna come back and we're gonna answer three questions, okay? So the main thing you're gonna hear today is that in humility, elders lead the church, and the congregation follows their elders as their elders follow God. Let me say that again. In humility, we're gonna see today, Peter is saying in humility, elders lead the church, and the congregation follows their elders as their elders follow God. I wanna just kind of throw out this warning tag as we begin to walk into the text today. This is something you're gonna hear a lot of passion about. Uh, and, And I am extremely passionate about this subject. I love uh, the church, obviously, and I love what God's word has to say about the church. I've given my life up to shepherd the sheep that uh, and to answer the call that God has placed on my life. I, I better be passionate about it or there's a problem. Uh, but not only am I passionate because of the calling that God has placed on me personally, but I'm also passionate about it because I think we all know that something's wrong. I don't think we'd have to, break out all the statistics and the horror stories to scare you into believing that something is wrong in, in the church today. And I'm sure there's all types of theories and thoughts. Some of you right now, you're like, amen. And, and, but maybe what we would agree is wrong with the church might be a little bit different. But I think we all agree something is not right. Something, and here's how we know this. Do you know that there are more churches dying in the South than any other region in America In the South, this is particularly one of the reasons I believe the Lord called me to pastor and shepherd in the South. You say, well, it's because you were raised here. Look, my yes was on the table. I told Stacy when we began to talk, as a matter of fact, just the other day on the 17th, it was our engagement anniversary. And so I told her, listen, men, just a side note. Let me throw this out there. My birthday is January 17th. I proposed to her on July 17th. So just help me remember. Anyway, so But I told her, look, your yes has to be on the table. I believe this is where we are, but God could call us anywhere and and we're gonna answer that call. and, And your yes has to be there. This is something we are doing together. This is something that I can't do without, you're a helper in this. And so it can help or hurt and she has helped. And I'm thankful her yes was there too. And so you're gonna hear passion about this because a, I, a lot of churches are dying in the South. And let me throw this out. is something in prepare you, I believe you're about to see. I believe over the next six months, you will see even more churches die in the South. Even more churches die in the South. I, and you can say it's because of COVID, but at, at churches that were already struggling, already going through difficulties, pastors that were already burned out and wanting to kind of maybe step out of ministry are taking this time to, to do it. They've gone home, they've gotten online, they've walked through it, and the struggles are there. Now, look, I'm no expert in, in all of this. I, I can't tell you every answer. Jesus ultimately knows the reasons why. But you know, I think one of the reasons that you're gonna find why churches in the South, specifically in this region, are dying faster than any other region in America, I hear as well, I think it's because there are elders not leading and congregations not following. I believe there are elders that are not leading because they're doing other things. It's not that they're lazy and it's not that they're not spirit filled and it's not that God hasn't called them. They're just simply busy doing other ministry related activities other than the main things that God's called them to do. And as a result, you have then a a reverse side of that. Congregations aren't following. It's the same way that I hear all the time from ladies in their home who says, my husband's not leading, so should I lead? My husband's not taking the spiritual lead in our home, so should I take on his role? The reverse side of that is if elders aren't leading, then who will lead? So then the congregation steps in and says, we'll do it. And all of a sudden you have uh, unhealthy churches. So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna walk you through chapter five, verses one through five. And then we're gonna go back after we've kind of walked through it a little bit and we're gonna answer three questions. What does an elder do? How does an elder do it? And what is the congregation's response? So what does an elder do? How does an elder do it? And what is the congregation's response? So here we go. First Peter chapter five, starting in verse one. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the suffering of Christ, as well as the one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. He starts by saying, I I exhort you. This means to strongly encourage. Uh, So I'm strongly encouraging you. Uh, listen to what I'm about to say. And then he says, elders among you. Now, for many people who have been raised Southern Baptist in your life or or Baptist in your lifetime, even hearing the word elder seems funny because you're like, wait, hang on. What is an elder? And almost 90% of the time that I talk to people and they say, what is an elder? They just flip it over a little bit and say, elder means older. I hope not, okay? I hope not. And so what, what is what is an elder? This is it's talking about the office in a church, This the, the leader. So this is talking about an office of a church leader that God set up. It's a, a position that God has placed an office that God established to lead uh, the church. And he's gonna talk about what this person is and, and is about. So elder, by the way, is the most often used word in the Bible referring to the leader, that God has placed within the church. The word is presbyteros. Presbyteros is the word that you get the word presbyterian or presbyter uh, is is a word that has been used there. It's the office of a church leader. You're gonna see some other words that are gonna come up, pastors or shepherd, uh, bishop, overseer. All of these are are synonymous, which we're gonna walk through them in just a little bit. But what I wanna encourage you with is, is elder is not an age but it is an office, and we're gonna look at why uh, many people just think maybe elder means, means older, and so we'll talk about that in just a little bit. What you're gonna notice, though, is as you begin to walk through the New Testament and you just say, okay, where's elder used and, and what's happening? It's used, it's the word that's most often used. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter, 13, Acts chapter 14, what you're gonna find is that it's always used in the plural form. So it's not an elder, but it's almost always elders. Elders, uh, we call this a plurality of, of elders. Matter of fact, it says this in Acts 14, verse 23. He says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they didn't just appoint an elder or one single leader They had a plurality of elders that were called to do certain tasks in strengthening the church to accomplish the mission of God. So there's always been a a plurality. So you say, well, what does this mean? Well, let me tell you a few things it means. One, it means that the church is not a democracy. It's not a democracy. The church, the the way God set the church up was not modeled after the American government. God had a, a way that he wanted the church to be. So it's not a democracy, but it's also not a dictatorship. It's not a dictatorship, there's not one solo person that God set up to call the shots and make all the decisions with, with no accountability. That's also not what we see in the Bible. So I would say it maybe like this, it's not led by one and it's not led by everyone. Uh, let me say it again, the is God didn't set the church up to be led by one and he didn't set it up to be led by everyone. Now, if you'll keep reading with me, look what he says here. He says, I'm writing this to you as a, a fellow elder. A fellow elder. He says, I'm not writing this to you just as some some person, but as somebody that is also an elder. If you remember, Peter denied Jesus. And when Jesus in his resurrected self is ready to to meet with the disciples, he says, go get Peter. I wanna meet with Peter too. And he sits down and he has breakfast with Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, feed my sheep. No, no, do you love me? Yes, you know that I do. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Frustrated at this point. Yes, okay, then feed my sheep. That You're gonna see this come into place. So he's saying as a fellow elder, you know, every year people run marathons. I don't know how many marathons are being ran at the moment, but every year people run marathons. And I always think about this. What is the difference between a marathon runner who quits and one who makes it? I'm sure training, diet, having a really good playlist on some headphones to help you distract it by the time. I I, I don't know, you know, this might come to surprise to many of you, and you will probably shocked in this, but I'm not much of a marathon runner myself. I I, I like the other forms of exercise, but is probably not my thing. But I think about what what makes one person win or or finish and one person not? I'll tell you one thing. I, I think you'll find that the people that finish that race are people that are also encouraged by other runners with them. They don't just run it by themselves. They Normally it's a, a group of friends or a people that train together and they push each other along the way. Keep going, don't give up. You know, and a lot of marathons, there are people like holding water and they're like, you can do it because it takes encouragement to do what some might see as maybe even an ungodly act, like running a marathon. Like that is just, I mean, 20 something miles just, you know, my knees are like, yeah, I don't know about it. Anyway, so, but for the people who finish it, there's a lot of encouragement that comes along the way from people they're running with. And this is exactly what Peter is doing. He said, hey, I know life is turned upside down right now. So fellow elders, I, I, I want to encourage you. As somebody who's running this race with you, I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to stop. Every year, pastors quit. They stop, they give up on the call that God has placed on them for a bunch of different reasons. And some maybe are, are reasons that are out of their control, health issues. And, and so not every pastor that, that stops pastoring is in sin or, or is a problem, but every year I do believe there are pastors who get out of the race too early. So pastors, if you're watching right now, or if you're gonna see this later, you maybe you are preaching this morning and on your mind you're thinking, man, it's time to quit. I've heard that a lot of pastors are ready to quit on Monday. But it's the call of God that keep him going on Tuesday. He's saying as a fellow elder, I wanna encourage you, even when things are upside down. Go with me to verse two. He says, shepherd God's flock among you. Elders are like shepherds, they're like shepherds. They're called to love and lead and feed and protect the flock. You're gonna see this. Remember, God is is used as uh, the good shepherd. Uh, the ultimate shepherd. And now he says, I have these under shepherds that are to shepherd the flock that is there. And we're gonna talk through more what this means. He says, but shepherd the flock that is among you. Shepherd the flock that is among you. You know, there have been a a certain amount of, of people that have been entrusted to certain shepherds. And we're called to shepherd the flock that God has given us, not another church. I'm not called to lead another church or shepherd their sheep. I think about it kind of like my children. God has called me to lead and shepherd my children. I'm responsible for my kids. One day I will give an account to God for my kids uh, with one on the way. Lord help me, I, I wanna do my best to not just raise good human beings, but uh, man, men and women that love God, who fear Him, and who wanna make disciples with their life for the rest of their life. And so I'm, I'm responsible for them. Yet as a pastor, as a shepherd, I'm also responsible for the sheep that God has given me, no one else, no other church. I'm, I'm not responsible for how they do it or, or what they what they do. I'm, I'm responsible for the ones that have been entrusted and given to me. He says, oversee them. Look in verse two, he says, oversee them. We're called to be overseers, not, not overseeing them out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly overseeing. We're gonna hit some of these other words in a minute. Verse three, he says, to be in, we've been entrusted with the sheep. He says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So he says, they, there's, they've been entrusted. There's a, a connection, a, a responsibility amongst shepherd and and sheep. They've been entrusted. There's a responsibility to God uh, from the shepherd to the sheep, but then also that the shepherd would know who his sheep are. They've been entrusted. Hopefully, if you've been entrusted with your children, you you know who your kids are. You know who you are responsible for. And in this day and age, I think it's become increasingly difficult sometimes to know exactly who's in the flock. Uh, and we'll talk about that and why. But there's been there's an entrusting. Look at verse 4 with me. He says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Unfading crown of glory. What's, what's going on here? In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, he says that. Uh, all Christians are gonna be rewarded this crown of righteousness, he says. All, all Christians are gonna be rewarded a crown of righteousness that we've received from Christ Jesus. But he says, pastors, there's an honor that is to come. You will be honored. If you're not honored in this life, that's okay. There's an honor that's coming for those who are shepherds in God's sheep. So there's an encouragement found in knowing that God has, has called you to a task and, and he sees it and, and you've been rewarded. And I wanna say this, I, I get to preach a message like this, knowing that I have been honored in the church that God has called me to pastor. Uh, I, I tell people this all the time. It is, it is fun shepherding sheep that love God and also love their shepherd. Now, it doesn't mean that there are not pastors out there that God, his calling on your life right now is to shepherd some sheep that talk back a little bit. And, and you have to go through that. But I can tell you, I, I've been honored where I'm at. Some churches don't honor their pastors. Some churches target their pastors. It really doesn't matter what they say, really doesn't matter what they do, and really doesn't matter how they do it. it. Doesn't matter if they're faithful to God's word and they're obeying God's word and doing God's word. Some churches will always have something to say about how or what or when they are doing it. And I'm thankful that I've experienced love and respect here, but I think we need to be prayerful for a lot of other pastors who aren't experiencing churches like like ours. I've heard uh, I've preached in a lot of churches and I've heard church members say, well, I tell you what, we're going to keep our man humble. We don't want this stuff going to his head. Well, you're going to find in this text in just a little bit that if, if you are needed to be in the church to keep your pastor humble, then he shouldn't be your pastor in the first place. He's not qualified as we're going to see according to the text. And so God doesn't need you to keep him humble. You're going to find that the cross is enough to keep all of us humble humble. Look at verse five with me. He says, uh, there is a reward that's coming, but in the same way, he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, many people read verse five and they say, well, this is the reason elder must mean older because the text singles out younger people. Now there's a lot of other places in the Bible where they single out different age groups according to different things. You say, well, why would he single out here a younger people? Well, let me ask you, who's most likely to not desire to submit to authority? Yeah, a a younger people, a younger people. This is something that you're training up. We're constantly equipping our children and our students to submit to authority. He's done this all through 1 Peter. And so he calls them out, but it's not meaning that this text doesn't mean for the whole church, that is, It's assumed and preached and shared in other verses, but he's saying that younger people submit to those who are there, not only young people, they're just typically the least likely to show humility and respect to those who are in leadership. So he calls out those who are younger. Notice here he used the word subject. This literally means to submit or to yield to one's admonition and advice. So he says elders lead in humility, congregation follows in humility. It's almost like a dance. And when a partner's dance together, Man, there's a beautiful rhythm that goes along with that. As as one person is leading and another person's following, but together they're dancing, there's something beautiful is producing that. And it's the same thing when there's a church being humbly led by the elders that God has called. And then there's a congregation that humbly submits to those leaders as those leaders follow God. There is a, a beauty and a light that shines in the world in that. Uh, and so this is ultimately what he is is going for. Pride is at the root of leadership being abused or disregarded. And so he's going to hit the major root sin that causes divisions or unhealthy leadership or unhealthy churches. He says pride is at that root. So if this happens, if pastors lead in, in pride or congregations become prideful and say, nope, you you can't lead, then what happens is churches are no longer thriving and they're no longer able to run at full speed. Let me just say this again, life is short. Every single day people are dying and going to hell. And God has placed the church as the avenue or the vehicle that is used to carry the gospel to the nations and our neighborhoods. And every time a church has to pause or stop to do other things, that mission is not on the forefront of it. And so what we're gonna see is ultimately, what does an elder do? How's he supposed to do it? And then what's the congregation do? So let's talk, what does an elder do? What does an elder do? Ultimately, we just saw the elders shepherd the flock. They, they provide oversight. So let's talk through some of these different words that are used just in this passage. There's the word elder or presbyteros. It's the office the text is talking about. This, this church leader that God is called to, to lead the flock. But then he also used the word shepherd shepherd or, or even sometimes feed in this word, it's the word poimen, and it's where we get the word pastor from. As a matter of fact, you're only going to find the word pastor used one time in the entire New Testament, and it's in Ephesians. Uh, I think it's chapter four. And, and, but often, though, it used the word shepherd, a shepherding pastor or a teaching uh, pastor. Then it uses the word overseer overseer or, or to take oversight. This is the word episkopos. It's where we get the word bishop, and it describes the function of, of ministry, uh, a, a, a ministering pastor. Now, some believe, and we have some uh, faiths that believe that those are actually different positions. And so they have a presbyter, they have a pastor, and they have a, a, a bishop. But what you're going to find as you study through the New Testament is that often, These words in Acts and Ephesians and here are all used interchangeably and at the same time, referring to the same office. And so that's where I would fall. And I believe that the Bible falls is there's one office called to lead the church. And in that office, that person is a shepherd, they're an elder, and they're an overseer. And that describes their responsibility to the congregation and their role. So let me just say this, and I I wanna make sure everybody hears loud and clear, because I hear this all the time what rule, I hear this, Jacob, what rule do you believe there should be within the church? Like who rules the church? Should it be pastor rule? Should it be elder rule? Should it be congregational rule? And I tell everybody, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. God didn't call elders to rule or congregation to rule or pastors to rule. Jesus rules the church. He is the head of the church over and over and over. Elders and, and, faithful followers of Christ showed Jesus is the head of the church, just like Jesus is the head of the family. The question though, is how does Jesus rule the family? And how does Jesus rule the church? Well, here's how. I believe it's through this structure. So let's talk about what an elder does. First of all, a shepherd loves by feeding. A shepherd loves by feeding. Many people say, I want a shepherd. I want a pastor that that loves the sheep. Well, how do they do that? How do they love the sheep according God's Word. Everything is meant to to love. So how do you do that? First of all, shepherds love by by feeding. Some of y'all are like, I'm hungry now. Come on, where's breakfast? All right, feed me. But he's not talking about a a physical food. It is that shepherds overwhelmingly are called to feed the Word of God. In Acts chapter 6, he he says there's an issue within the church and and so they would create a, a system that the, the issue would be handled. But the primary reason that he creates that system is so that they can be faithful to the Word. He says it, we have to devote ourselves to prayer and to time in the Word of God. As the primary teaching pastor at Shirley Hills, every week I have to protect my time in the Word. There's a million things that I could do that would fall under the umbrella of pastor but one of the most primary ways that I show my love to our sheep is by devoting myself to the word of God, by saturating myself in the word of God, by not just saying, okay, look, there are tons of ways to get sermons in the modern day world. And here's why, because pastors feel like they are being forced to find ways to shorten sermon prep because they have all these other things. But one of the most loving ways a pastor will love his sheep is to be devoted to studying and being time in the word to feed the flock of God through the word of God. The power is not in a pastor's charisma. It's not in his personality trait. It's not in his personality test or whatever the new ways that we're discerning who we are. It's not how well that they're able to do certain things. The power for us to feed the flock is found in the word of God. This is either the living word of God or it's not. He says that the good shepherd leads you to green pastures where the water is is still, where it's flowing, where you can drink from it. Look, this is the word of God is living and is active and what you need more than anything else. It's not pop culture, not cool sayings, not crafty things, not artsy things. All those things are great aids and they're great help. But what we are called to do is to feed you and to love you by feeding the word of God. So I protect my time. at surely is we, we create different environments for you to grow in the word of God. On Sunday mornings, I'm gonna preach and teach the word of God. We have D groups that we don't only dive into maybe sermon questions, but other texts and things that you can grow deeper in the word of God. We were offering classes and different things before COVID decided to come and sweep out half of our church calendar. But there's all types of ways for us to feed the word of God. You know what? If you need counseling and you need help to a pastor, you wanna know what you're gonna get? You're probably not gonna get really cool pop psychology or, or different counseling, cool techniques. We, if, if those are needed, we will probably refer you on to somebody who's been trained deeper and, and more effective in those ways. You know what you're gonna get if you come to us? You're gonna get God's word. We're gonna sit down with you and say, here's what God's word says. Here, you wanna know about marriage and you wanna know about relationships, you wanna know about job, you wanna know about your life? We're gonna sit down and we're gonna open up God's word and this is what we're gonna feed you because we're called to love the sheep by feeding the word of God. We're gonna give you the word. This is where the power is. So shepherds love by feeding. This is how we shepherd, by feeding the word of God. Secondly, shepherds love by organizing or or leading. We organize. You see this again in Acts chapter six. There were some widows that were left out And widows are like, hey, listen, we're not only being left out, but we feel like we're being left out because we're not maybe in the in group. We're not a part of a certain sect of people that would always be taken care of. And he says, well, that's not who we are called to be. That's not who we wanna be. we're gonna love everybody. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna create deacons. And deacons, uh, this is the process that we're gonna go through. So they organize a system or a way Elders did this. They said, we're gonna create a system so that they can be taken care of, so that we can sit in the word of God and do what God has called us to do. What we lead. Now, not that we always have the best plan. Not that we always have the best leader. Leadership is not based off me being the best or our elder body, our our team being the best. It's not off us always having the best plan, but it is the way that God has set the church up to lead forward. Just like in your home, your husband is not always the best husband, is he? No woman said amen. Now I love that, like not a lady. He's not always, does he always have the best plan? You're not called to follow his leadership because he's the best person or he has the best plan, but he's what you got. He's what God gave you. And sometimes it's gonna be great. Sometimes it's not, but it is what God set up in your home. And this is also what God set up in the church. And here's why. Because as we move forward together, what we're saying is, God, we trust your setup. And not that we trust everything that the way that he's doing it is the best or the way that he's saying it is the best or even that he's the best. But God, we trust you. We trust your ways above our ways. We trust that you are bigger. I'm so thankful as a husband, God is bigger than any mess up I've made in trying to lead my family or shepherd my family. And I have it double. As a pastor and a shepherd of his church, I'm thankful God is bigger than any mess up or any attempt to lead than I could ever be. Amen? That's when you're supposed to talk back, but it's okay. Uh, And so God has it that way. There's another word he uses, overseer or, or bishop. Now, this is a word that might be kind of weird for a lot of you, you're just not used to hearing it. You've read elder in the Bible, but the word overseer seems kind of funny. Now, you might be used to, in many of us, you've come from churches where in your nature, you vote on every single thing. By your nature, you vote on carpet color, light bulb changes, doorknobs, where every penny and every dollar goes. And and you feel like, man, that's what we should do. This is me being a responsible member. And I think most members that I've talked to that are a part of churches like that, with structures like that, they feel like I'm just wanna be the very best that I can be. That's not how we go about things. We're not gonna vote on every little thing. God's called us to be organizing overseers in humility not pridefully, not arrogantly, but we make decisions to expedite the process so that you can focus on discipling your family, reaching your neighbor and accomplishing the mission that God's called you to. I believe that a lot of churches are dying in the South because they have confused a lot of church things with the mission that God has specifically given them. God has called pastors to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. The ministry that God's called you to is the ministry of reconciliation. Seeing the lost found and the found disciple that they would also be used to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. Sometimes though, we will choose wrong. We're gonna choose a wrong paint color or carpet color. We're gonna make a decision that in your mind is not the best or, or right. But you know what? This is what God set up so that the church can accomplish what God has for his Glory. Ephesians four twelve is the text we want to equip you. So let's not always worry about the execution of every little thing. Let's carry out the mission that God has. He has called pastors or elders or overseers, whichever is your favorite term. Please don't call me overseer Jacob, uh, and so I would rather not. But you can call me Jacob now what do we do? We, we feed the, the sheep with the word of God. We lead by organizing, but we also shepherd uh, loving the sheep by protecting them, by protecting them. Feed the sheep, protect the sheep, repeat until you die. This is what I was uh, told by a, a pastor friend of mine after planning a church. I called him and said, how's it going? He said, man, I, got, I called somebody and I asked him to give me some advice as a church planner." He said, feed the sheep, protect the sheep and repeat until you die. And it's great advice, because here's the deal. Uh, as we think about the church, we have to be on guard. Jesus says that there will be wolves who are dressed in sheep's clothing that come and, and come into the body for the sheer purpose of devouring. We're gonna find just in a little while, next Sunday, he says that Satan is like a warring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to pick off weak members of the flock. And God has called us to protect Wolves, he says, will try to come in. Think about it. If we're gonna be a light in the darkness, in Georgia, what happens when you put a light in your backyard in the darkness? A bunch of bugs fly to it. And and so though a light is gonna bring people into safety, there's also gonna be a lot of other things attracted to the church. So we need to make sure that that we're protecting as, as sheep. I can tell you, there's not a pastor on our team who has not had to have a hard conversation at some point with somebody who is bringing division or or bringing harm to the body. They sow lies, they wanna take people out of D groups. they wanna tear down leadership. They question every decision, no matter what you do or how you do it or how it works out. It's just who they are, they have a critical spirit. And no matter what the church and their leaders do, it will never be good enough. And one of the tough parts of being a pastor is not just standing up and, and, and window dressing, but there's a time where you're going to have to, in shepherding the flock, you have to protect the flock. This is what it means to be a, a protector. And so he says, do this. Our job is to watch for it and try to address it. We systematically do this. We sit down as a team and say, okay, as we're doing, how are our leaders doing how? how is anybody missing? Is there an issue going on that has caused people to pull away? And there will always be that and it's a part of the church. It's why some of you have said, I would just rather not be a part of the church. I don't wanna be a part of the church because there are things that are going on like this. Listen to me, that's why God's called pastors. For us to help take care of some of those issues while you continually take and address the mission that God has called our church to accomplish. So what does he do? What does an elder do? We love the sheep by feeding them. We love the sheep by protecting them. And we love the sheep by overseeing uh, and organizing and, and leading. So how should an elder do it? Quickly, look at verse two and three with me. How should an elder do it? First of all, he says that they should desire to shepherd the flock. We should not do this under compulsion. I mean, could you imagine if a pastor all the time is like, oh, got to preach today. Oh, got a second service. Oh, got a staff meeting. Oh, got to go to work. Oh, got a job. Like who would want that? Who would want to be on that team? He says, this should not be the case. God has called you and placed you. So you should desire this. Now, I'll tell you, when I felt the Lord calling me to the ministry, I fought it for the longest time. Not because I didn't want to answer the call, but because I questioned God, how in the world could you call me? <laughs> I mean, of all the people, there's a lot better candidates. There's a lot better people. There's a lot better things. And I'll tell you, almost every pastor that I know called to the ministry, that is their reaction. Lord, me? Me being an elder, Lord, I, 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 are you sure? Like, is that, are you, are you sure? And so, but in this call, we're to desire that in humility, but there should be a desire. It's not, I have to do this. But then he also says, not only should there be a desire if you look there, he says that we should also not do this for for shameful gain. Now, this doesn't mean that you should do it for nothing. First Timothy 5.18 If a guy is working, don't hold them back from providing for them so that they're able to do this vocationally and can devote the time and the effort and the energy to do it. It doesn't mean they should do it for nothing. But the call to ministry should not be tied to a desire to make money or for their own wealth or financial investment. And so if you're, first of all, if you think you're gonna surrender to the ministry for money, you need to go talk to other pastors. But secondly, that your desire to do ministry things should not be, oh, I wanna make more money. I wanna profit. We are here and we are called for the kingdom, not for ourselves. We're called to advance his kingdom in, in his name. So elders should not desire to lead for shameful gain. I, let me just say, it's not on, only monetarily. This can also be to feed their ego, to look good, to have their name out. That's It's why we don't put... You know, out on our church sign, Pastor Jacob Green, because we're the church. It's in the, for the name of Jesus. So we should not be in this for shameful gain, especially when it comes to finances. But elders should also shepherd as an example. As an example, look here, he says that we should lead not out of compulsion, but willingly, that not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example. The way a shepherd leads is not by making people, it's by being faithful to the word of God and being an example to the mission of God. By loving their wives, by, by leading their families. Listen to me, as I continue to, to lead the very best that I can and, and shepherd and humbly follow God. If I begin to, to leave my family, you should not allow me to be your pastor. If I begin to preach the word of God, a gospel that is not the gospel, You should not let me be your pastor. I should be an example. Not that pastors are perfect. I can assure you they're not, but they are called to lead. So we should be an example in this. So how should the congregation respond as we fly? In humility, the congregation follows as the elders follow the Bible. As we follow God's word and we seek after God, then you follow those elders that God has placed. Congregation follows elders. I find that in the South particularly, a lot of churches have this flip-flop. They say, well, it's our job to lead, and it's a, a pastor's job to do other things. And and when we get that out of order, it creates a church that is, is not as healthy as it could be because we're not doing the main things that God has called us to be doing. And so as we, we do this, a congregation should should walk through the, the paths. Let me, let me give you a, maybe an easy way that we do this. Um, As as a congregation follows the elders, as the elders follow the Bible, Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Pastor called to watch over your soul. So how do we humbly follow? Let me give you this as we wrap up this message. What does it look like for a, a Congress to humbly follow. One of the ways that you should do this is by walking through the ways that your elders, your pastors have called you to commit. One of the ways that God's called you to commit. See, church attendance does not mean church commitment. Uh, we live in a culture that the idea of church and and, and being on mission for God has been lowered so much that we have compu- we've confused church attendance with church commitment. And it doesn't mean that. Attendance is the crowd. But the flock is the family. The flock is the family. Are you a part of the the family of God? Hey, how, you say, well, how do you do that? How do you commit? We call it gospel partnership. Other churches call it membership. Join the church. Let your name be known. You say, well, is that biblical? Yes. You see it in the New Testament. They knew who was in their flock. It says, and they added to the church. That meant they knew who was already in the church. As people were getting saved, they were keeping a a church role if you want it to be, but we should take our church role serious. Who is in the flock? Here's why, one day I'm gonna give an account for my flock. So I should know who is in that flock. And we should have enough elders and pastors to oversee the flock that God has given us. So become a gospel partner. Now, some of you are like, well, I've been burned by church before. I've been burned. Join the club. Uh, Look, I've also been burned in family before. But that doesn't mean I just say I'm done with family. It just means, you know what? This is a broken, imperfect world, and one day, because of Jesus, it will be made perfect. Others are like, well, I don't like commitment. I just don't do this commitment thing. Yeah, I understand. Jesus faithfully committed himself unto us, and like him, as we grow to, to imitate Christ, we also commit to the family of God. It is biblical, we see this. So. Uh, Become a gospel partner. How do you do this? Practically love God in in corporate gathering. Gather with us. Whether it's online, a a statistic just came out this week. Recent study showed since COVID has hit, since COVID has hit, between 30 and 35% of all active church members prior to COVID have now become inactive during COVID. You've either stopped going in person or you've stopped watching online. Be committed, join in. Secondly, Grow by being committed to a D group. Man, you, we need people. We need people to run the race with. We shepherd through our D groups. We are not just a group with, we're not just a church with some groups, we're a church of groups. I know it's hard to do this because of COVID. I feel so disconnected from my own D group. I, I wanna sit down and eat a meal and hang out and live life. I, I, I'm about to go insane. I, 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 cannot, I cannot wait to to get back to those face-to-face things, but it doesn't mean we don't need a people to run with. We all need that. We have D groups here that are smaller groups of people that hold one another accountable. Let me ask you this. If you went missing from your church, who would know it? Who have you found that you were in a group of people that if you went missing, you, you would know it? Some of you, you're like, well, that's why I don't wanna join church. I left and nobody noticed. Maybe that's not the church's issue as much as it was an indication of your commitment into that body. So get committed into that body, grow by being committed, and then live sent by being the church. Be the voice in the wilderness. Be the hands and feet of Jesus in a, a, a practical way. You're like, well, I tend Shirley Hills. Great, now commit. Take that next step. In the South, I ask people all the time, are you a Christian? And they all say yes. And then ask them, well, let me ask you this. What elder are you submitted to? Huh? What do you mean, huh? They're gonna, give, they're gonna give an answer for your soul. So what elder are you, are you committed to? What, what elder is overseeing your soul? Uh, let me tell you a practical way this comes up with me as we get ready to close. People ask me all the time, hey, pastor, will you do my wedding or will you do my child's wedding? Will you do my niece's wedding? And, and we would like for you to marry them. And so I say, well, you know what, maybe. And they're like, what, maybe, maybe. Well, hang on, isn't that what you do? Well, no. No, weddings aren't what we, we do. God's called us to shepherd the flock. That we do weddings, but we are not in the wedding business. We are in the, the shepherding business. And so we do do weddings, so let me ask them. Uh, so we be, I begin to ask them a question. Are you a Christian? Yes. Are you committed within the church? Yes. Why isn't, then why aren't your elders, uh, why aren't your pastors doing the wedding? Well, you know, well, and so we start asking. Okay, well, I tell you what, here's the commitment that I'm asking you to make And here's what that looks like for you to be a part and for us to do it. And if you don't wanna do that, then well, we're not gonna do it. Why? Join a D group, commit to the church, fall under and and let's begin to walk and follow Jesus. Well, I don't want that. Well, I understand, but this is where we are. This is what we do. Why? Because this is the mission that God has called us to. So let me close with this. How do we get the humility? Now, let me close this way. If you go back to, to verse one, Peter says, as a fellow elder and one who is sharing in the suffering, someone who is, who is in this call, and he goes back and he points to the cross of Jesus. You see, if you remember, Peter denied Jesus. And the, the changing point for Peter, the changing point for his call and his ministry, it was not in his office or, or in his position. He was sharing with them because one day he saw Jesus down on the cross and he denied him. But when Jesus rose from the dead, it changes who Peter is. You see, his greatest failure is not what defined him. Jesus' resurrection from the grave is what defined him. So what gets us to humility in the church? What gets us to being able to dance the way that God would have us to for the glory of God as a light and a darkness, as the vehicle to carry the gospel to the nations? Here's what gets us to the place of humility. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. When I look at who I am and we look at who we are, we are filthy rotten sinners that Jesus loved me and he died for us so that we could have life. None of us should be able to be in the position that we are in, but by the grace of God, we are Peter. We have denied Christ, yet he died for me anyway. He called us back to himself and said, now go live on mission for me. Elders, we lead in humility. Congregation, we follow in humility. And in this, I pray that the church, even in the midst while things are turned upside down, would not only survive, but the church would thrive for the glory of God. Father, we love you. We pray that you would lead us as your church, that we would be the church, and that we would continue to seek your face as your people. We pray and ask this in your holy name, amen.